Where was Paul writing this from? Look at the very first verse. Paul, he was in prison, but this was not his second imprisonment. This was his first imprisonment. We're going to read in the last couple verses of Acts what that's all about. There's Paul in the yellow. He's teaching those people on the left. The fellow behind him is the soldier. You can see the chains holding him. And then in the near right corner, you can see some parchments. They might be scriptures that Paul happened to have, or they can be drafts of the letters that he was in the process of writing. So Paul, first of all, his name, his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, something to be desired. And it was changed to Paul, little. So you hear a name like Paul Bryan, that means little giant, but that's neither here nor there. Where was Paul? He was his first imprisonment. And here we have, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. So I don't know where Paul got the cash, but he lived there in that home and proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So, who was the keeper? The Bible says he was the prisoner for Christ Jesus. King James says the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Jesus was the keeper. Who was the prisoner? This is kind of a trick question. Who was the prisoner? Paul, duh. What about the soldier that was chained to him? The soldier who guarded him. Now, the way they guarded people was they were chained to them. Now, can you imagine that soldier? He goes home after work, and the missus says to him, so, how was work today? You're not going to believe it. I had to stand there and listen to this guy talking about this guy named Jesus who rose from the dead, and he's testifying. So the prisoner, was it Paul? Was it the soldier? It's an interesting point. What was Paul doing outside of prison? When Paul was not in prison, what was he doing? Acts of the Apostle, what was he doing? He was preaching. He was going from city to city to city and preaching. Okay, what was he doing inside the prison? Proclaiming the kingdom. What else was he doing? He wrote four books of scripture. He was a soul winner. Check out this verse. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, does that mean Caesar's kin? Or does that mean Caesar's closest friends? Could it mean the Caesar's uh, servants that were close to him? Don't know what it means, but it does suggest that Paul's message got very deep into the Roman Empire. It says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Onesimus, the slave, was saved under Paul's ministry in prison. Now here's Onesimus. His name means profitable. And we're going to see how there's going to be a play on that word Onesimus. At one point, Paul uses the word, he was useless to you. So that gives us a hint of maybe what kind of a slave Onesimus was. 
He was a runaway slave. And what's interesting is there were, history tells us there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And to take Athens just as one example, Athens has no connection to this passage, but just the ratio. 38,000 free men versus 400,000. That's more than one to 100 slaves. Maybe you were like Ulysses S. Grant who had one, who he gave him his freedom. Or maybe you're like some very rich uh, person that had a whole big bunch. But the ratio was one to 100. Now, Onesimus was a fugitive. And what they would do minimally to a runaway slave who came back was they would tattoo on his head an F for the Latin word fugitive. So that's what Onesimus was looking forward to minimally. Treatment of slaves ranged from trusted family member all the way through atrocities. That's, that's just pure history. He was possibly a slave. We read that in verse 17 where Paul says, if he happens to owe you something. He ran to Rome so that he can get lost in the crowd. It would be like, uh, if, if you wanted anonymity, go to New York City and just disappear. Saved under Paul's ministry. Jesus paid the debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. If he was a slave and ran away, no way of making an income, how was he going to ever repay what he owed? That's the exact same analogy as, as myself. The wages of sin is death. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. So now here we have Philemon. You notice his name, Phil, like Philadelphia, love of the brothers. That word means one who loves, which is very different than lovable, okay? There are some infant grandchildren that we are connected with, and they're lovable, but they're not lovers. They don't understand love, but a passive, they're, lover, they're lovable. Philemon was a lover, not your head, and not Eros, Philos. And what we're going to see is Paul uses that word love to get this man's attention. I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Now, that love is an agape. So what he's trying to do is bootstrap Philemon from a philos, an affection kind of love, to a, an agape kind of love. It would be like when Jesus was talking to Peter in the end of John's gospel. Peter, do you love me? He started with the philos. And finally, the third time he asked Peter, do you love me? It was the agape. He was drawing him closer. And so what you're going to see is Paul's a wonderful salesperson here. He is setting Philemon up. And we're going to see that. You, your love has given me. So you didn't just love all the saints but you also loved me and you gave me encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And he's going to ask Philemon, don't just forgive this guy, but receive him as a brother, just like I'm your brother. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech you. So, you have him as affectionate, slave owner, Christian, 
and house church host. So then that sort of begs the question, what sort of a master was Philemon? And you see the, the smiley face and the sad face. Was he two-faced? Was he hypocritical? Was he a Christian and come into my house and let's have a Bible study? And then on the other side, thrash his slaves? We don't know. What kind of a Christian was he? Was he two-faced, if you will, based upon what kind of a master was he? And we also have to ask that what kind of slave was Onesimus if he is told to Philemon that he was useless, not profitable? Those are all left for conjecture. Where did Philemon live? The book of Philemon doesn't tell us, so it was kind of a, a trick question. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, which means fruitful. Now, some folks try to say that Aphia is the wife of Philemon, and Archibus is the son of Philemon. We don't know that, but we know that they're close because this book is written to Philemon, also to be read out loud to the church in his house, but these other two are picked out. Now, that word archipus means master of the horse, and you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we will see that shortly. Here's Colossians. Now we, now we know where um, Philemon was from. He was from the city of Coloss because of these verses. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, I highlight these verses. If we could draw an analogy, we have certain small groups in this church. And they meet in people's houses, just like Philemon had a church in his house. Colos was a relatively large city, so there was a church at large, just like we have a Mount Vernon Christian church. And so Paul is writing this thing, hoping, we find out later that he's, in this letter, he says to, uh, to Philemon that he's confident of his obedience, but hoping that Philemon will restore Onesimus, and now we have this slave, or former slave, whatever, walking around in the city of Colos. The people at large need to understand that this guy has been restored. Now, don't know if it's the same person, but if you would Google Ignatius Onesimus Bishop, you will find that Ignatius was writing about this man named Onesimus, who was a bishop. So if that's the same guy, this guy was not just restored as a fugitive slave, he grew in the Lord. So here we have Archippus. I'm going to call him, he's, pony, he's the Pony Express, because again in Colossians we read, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans, down the road. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, which we don't know anything about that letter. It's not part of the scriptures. No, there's not even a, a bogus version like the, I've heard of the Gospel of St. Thomas as an example. I, I don't know about that. 
and say to Archimus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. He's the Pony Express. So there are two issues at hand at the, in the, um, the letter of Philemon. What are they? A property loss issue, whether it's what Onesimus may have stolen or the investment that Philemon put into his, his property, his chattel, his personal property. And Christ forgave Onesimus. Would Onesimus forgive Philemon? I skipped the word Philemon there. So back to the scriptures, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Paul is asking God to show grace and peace to Philemon, and later he's going to ask Philemon to show a spirit of grace and peace to Onesimus. And you see verse 26, the very end, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul is trying to put a wrapper around this thing and bring it all back to that word grace. He's saying, Philemon, I wish you grace. I want you to give grace to Onesimus. And at the very end, after this whole, his whole passage, I could command you, but I, I'm going to beg you, grace to you. Thank God always when I remember you in my prayers. Now, I'm thankful that we have a praying church. And I'm confident that if I said, I've got this prayer request, and you know I've asked you to pray for Jenny, you do it. Now, many times we pray for people that have need. Woody as an example. But we're also asked to pray for people that are doing just fine. I pray for Pastor Tony. I don't know if he's got any problems. But from appearances, he's doing just fine. That doesn't mean I stop praying for him. So here's Philemon. He's doing just fine until Paul gets under his skin. And he says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love, Philemon, and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. What he's now hinting at is you can do a better job if you deal with what I'm about to tell you, and you're going to see how this is going to build up and build up and build up. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, Philemon, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's the same word that Jesus used when he said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's the same word in Hebrews that says that we have a, a rest that we're looking forward to. So here's the summary of the setup. Keep in mind I'm saying setup. I'm praying for you. So you're not going to buck just me, you're going to buck God too. I hear of your love, and I hear how you're dealing with all the saints. I know how you've dealt with me, and you can do an even better job. Now, if somebody stroked you, if somebody complimented you and then said, and oh, by the way, I think you could do a better job. You could take that one of two ways. We'll deal with Jane judging Holsteins, okay? If she do it, she could pull one of the kids aside and said, you know, if you do this and you do this and you do this, you're going to be a, a better 4-H'er, okay? So I would think that child would receive that input. On the other hand, 
if, and I'll t deal with a, a wrestler's father. That's just like the epitome. You didn't win well enough. You could have pinned him in 15 seconds and not 20. If you did this, this, and this, do you think that boy is ready to hear that? No. So we don't know how Philemon is ready to receive this. So let's dig a little bit deeper, and we're going to hit verse 8. Accordingly. So, and I just used it. And I use it a lot of times. I say okay too often, and I say so too often. But many times in your own conversation, you just say so, and then you hit something. So here's the pivot. Paul is pivoting here. He says, so, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, it's, it's, it has to happen. Just like Pastor Glenn. Do I have to? Only if you don't want to. He said, I can command you, but I'm beseeching you. I'm appealing to you. I'm begging you. He says, I'm an old man. I'm an old man. Now, this is going to become interesting because later on, Paul's going to say, I, I could keep Onesimus to, to help me out, but for love's sake and to honor you as the owner, I'm sending him back. He says, accordingly, I'm bold enough to command this, but I'm going to appeal to you. I'm an old man. Now, I think he was old beyond his years. Now, each of us have tales of life's experiences, but his tales, you know, he was shipwrecked and he was in beasts and he was beaten and he was in prison and he was stoned. He was almost blind. He was old before his time. Now, I cross this verse out because the next click is going to show you how it is ordered in the Greek language. I've said several times different languages uh, use things in different orders. And I, uh, as an example, adjective noun. Many languages, including Spanish, I believe, would say noun adjective. And in, in German, sometimes the, the verb is way at the end, or half of the verb is at the way, at least high German, it's that way. He says, I appeal to you. So he's starting to, to warm this up. For my child. I'm an old man, and I've got this child who I saw saved in, j in jail, Onesimus. So you can picture Philemon, uh, Philemon reading this stuff and like in a crescendo, building and building and building. So what does he want me to do? I love Paul. I'll do anything. Onesimus. So in Roman law, a runaway slave could ask for forgiveness if he had an advocate or a mediator. There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Of course, in this case, the mediator was going to be Paul. That's Roman law. Here's the law of the spirit of life. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Philemon was in Coloss. This is a letter written to the Colossians. And here we have the, the juxtaposition of Philemon and Onesimus in front of Christ. And you, who once were alienated, and we were all alienated, I don't care what kind of a wonderful upstanding citizen or slave owner you were, you, we were all once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. 
He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, I was saved a long time ago. I have failed many times since then. And when I appear before Christ, before judgment, the judgment seat, the Bible says he's going to present his body, he's going to present the church spotless and without blemish. But now I'm going to be on this side of it. Do I think I'm spotless and unblemished? I've got a lot of things to think about. And that's what he's telling Philemon. You've been saved just like Onesimus has been saved, but here's something you need to think about. So what about the institution of slavery? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Slavery cannot exist in the presence of true Christian love. Now, anybody that was here when Paul Thompson spoke on the book of James in chapter 2, you know the answer to this question. But something happened in St. Paul's Episcopal Church in 1865. Who remembers what it was? It's exclusively a white man's church. And this is just a couple months after the Civil War ended. And a black man goes up to receive communion. Now, I've never been in an Episcopal church, but I've been in a Catholic church, and years ago, we would kneel for communion. So this black man goes up and kneels down, and based on Paul Thompson, I went out and Googled this thing. There were two eyewitness accounts that you could find, and they both said the same thing. They said that the congregation was embarrassed, including the pastor. They were all embarrassed. So one white guy gets up and kneels down right next to the black man, Robert E. Lee. You're exactly right. Now, I'll chat a little bit about history and a little bit about the institution of slavery. First, I'm going to start with some Bible figures. Philemon was a slave owner. Abraham had slaves. The Mosaic Law talks about slavery, at least for seven years' worth. Some of our forefathers, talking Bible forefathers, were polygamists. Jacob was a polygamist. He had two wives and two concubines. Abraham of sorts was a polygamist. He had Sarah and he had, he had Hagar. And the point is, these guys were not blessed because of themselves. They were blessed despite themselves. So when we think about taking down statues or rewriting history, you know, there's an old saying that experience is the best of teachers. You know what the second half of this, of that is? Few are they that learn thereof. George Washington was a slave owner. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. And they were trying to keep 13 colonies together. And not everybody wanted to be free from England. And they needed the 13 colonies. So they counted black people as 40% of a white person to keep everybody together. 
Certain things don't change immediately. We talked about this from Titus. For 600 years, they were liars and thieves and lazy gluttons. But 80 years later, remember the Gettysburg Address, fourscore? 80 years later, one-third of our male adult population died to set men free. And a lot of that came through abolitionist preachers. The word of God will tell us there's no room for slavery in the Christian's life. And so we have a, an undivided nation right now, and we need to pray. And I don't know what direction it's going to go, but to be the United States of America, we've got a long ways to go. So formerly he was useless, a useful to you and to me. He's profitable to, for Paul. He was an old man. He needed help. And he says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me. Now, he was taken from a bond slave, which the word is doulos, to diakonos. He was there to serve. Now, we have elders. Some churches would use the word deacon instead. I think the closest we, thing we have to a deacon would be a trustee. Those trustees are, are not indentured servants. They do their job, they do their jobs voluntarily, and they do it well. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying Onesimus could be my trustee. He could be my helper. We don't know how bad off Paul was, but we know he was hurting. So he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment. He would be profitable for Lehman because he was being asked to be returned as property, so uh, from, from his balance sheet, he had an asset that was coming back to him. He would gain a brother, a faithful free servant will make things right, and to be more effective in his ministry through forgiveness. And we, we covered that verse already. So now we have the big word, why. If you've got any toddlers in your house, it's why, and you give them an answer, and they say why, and you give them an answer. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you. Now, you see the passive was parted from you. King James says this is why he departed from you. One way or the other, he was separated from, from Philemon. The modern translation suggests that he was separated by something or someone or some force or God. King James has it more aptly. So this is Joseph. And he got the raw end of the deal from his brothers from beginning to end. He says, so it was not you who sent me, Joseph, here to Egypt, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Paul is using that word perhaps, you see it up there. But I'm thinking that word perhaps was another appeal to Philemon. I'd like to think that it really happened by the mercy and the will of God. But Paul is still trying to pull Philemon in. He says, perhaps, perhaps God had something to do with Philemon leaving. Perhaps God has something to do with Philemon stealing a candelabra so he can pay his way or whatever, whatever it was. Perhaps God is in this thing 
And so Paul is putting the onus back on Philemon in a request and not a command. Come back no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. There's that word love again. There's that Philemon, as a Philemon brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He's asking him to forgive him, to restore him, to accept him, just like Paul did in prison, to receive him into the fellowship of the church. So that begs the question, what about Philemon's other slaves? What do you think? Anybody? He's being asked to forgive and turn this man free and review him as a brother. Do you think if Philemon owned some other slaves, he might be thinking about that relationship? Minimally, he might be thinking about how he treats those people. But it's, again, it's a conjecture question. You know, Paul's not one to ask for favors. He says it's not for Paul's sake, but for Onesimus' sake, and for the sake of Philemon, and for the sake of the church. He says, if I have wronged you, if he has wronged you at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, who does that sound like? Jesus. We're going to get to it. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you, and the Lord refresh my heart in Christ. He's saying, pretty please, refresh my heart, back to verse 7, just like you refreshed other people. He's going back to that setup, back to the stroke, and he's saying, Philemon, you're full of love, you're full of faith, you're full of encouragement, you're full of refreshment, and if you don't do it, you're just full of it. Here's the application. Every one of us was a fugitive. Every one of us could have a tattoo, big F on our head. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Our guilt was great and our penalty severe. The wages of sin is death. And a lot of slaves got killed. Now, he ran away. He lost an asset. Philemon lost an asset. He took some things. We don't know if it was petty theft or, or grand larceny or whatever it was, but he had to finance his trip. How do I measure that against my sin? The wages of sin is death. Grace allowed us the right to appeal. We have a mediator between God and man. And we don't just have a mediator. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5 that through faith we have access. We're able to talk to him. Now with Stephen, his was very physical. He said, I looked up and I saw the heavens open and there was Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Well, I've never seen Jesus. I look forward to it. But that was access. See, grace allowed us the right to appeal. You know, John MacArthur has the show, and what a title he picked, Grace to You. What a title. Well, Christ said, charge that to my account. And we'll take this from Colossians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your faith, of your flesh, sorry, God made alive 
together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Again, Philemon was from Colos. He could relate to that. Philemon could legally, legal demands, Philemon could legally get anything he wanted to extract out of Onesimus. Just like I'm guilty under the law. But Romans 8 tells us that Jesus did for me what I could not do because of I'm weak in the flesh. And so you have Romans 8, 1, and we're going to end right there. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And we'll let that up until somebody decides to change that to the preview for the church. And we're two minutes early. Imagine that. Sure. Oh, that was a great question. You could be born into it. The child of a slave becomes the, the, the okay. You can be sold into it, the slave auctions. If you go down to Savannah, you can see where they had the, the slave auctions. You can be um, adopted into it. Widows, now this is an interesting one, there was no welfare. And in the world of Rome, there was the master with his wife. If she was childless and he had somebody by concubine, that one gets the estate and she gets kicked out. Very similar to um, Naomi in the book of Ruth. So widows can find themselves slaves because they had no way of of presenting themselves. You could become a slave by war, think Ben-Hur. So lots of different ways you can get there. Uh, you can, in, the, in the Jewish world, you can sell yourself as a slave. A person could become a slave because they couldn't meet their debts, so they say, Sean, I'm going to work for you, pay my bill. But in the Jewish world, after seven years, you have to let me go. So what am I worth for seven years? You can say, plug, plug nickel. <laughs> yes. Yes. You've heard of debtor's prison, right? Well, you can't pay a debt in prison unless you're making license plates or something. But you could you could become a slave because of your debt. Yes. I guess till the master had some kind of satisfaction. I don't know. And I don't know how long ago they made, they made license plates. I know in the South they use, in fact, they do in Delaware too. They use prisoners to clean up the sides of the roads as an example. Other questions? We're done. <laughs>